Ron Ananian. I gained an awful lot of common sense learning how to fix cars and an awful lot of confidence, and I think that's what the next generation needs because I don't see what standing there pushing a bunch of buttons. You know, that's that's not going to do it. Thank God for American cars. Thank God for you. Thank God for American cars. Every little thing you do. The Car Doctor. Nearly one in three American motorists cannot pay for vehicle repairs without taking on debt, according to a new study from AAA. The study estimates 64 million drivers could not pay out of pocket for an average repair bill of five to six hundred dollars welcome to the radio home of ron and anian the car doctor since 1991 this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair if your mechanic's giving you a busy signal pick up the phone and call in the garage doors are open but i am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900 and now here's ronnie Yep, time to start your engines once again. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. Here to take your calls and answer your questions, 855-560-9900. That is a 24-7 toll-free number, by the way. If we're not on the air, this radio show begins on its weekend run Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time out on the network. If you are listening via podcast, you're listening in an affiliate that takes it at a later time, then by all means, please call 855-560-9900 during our live broadcast, Saturday afternoon, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern, and we can talk about it even if we're not on the air in your market or locale. I wonder about how it will look in the coming years. Well, I wonder about it because I see the repairs and the way repairs are being done now. I'll tell you the story this way. 2007 F-150 came into the shop at RA Automotive this week, and and I had to I had to read the 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 text of the labor op, the description from the customer three times, and I was the one that wrote it. When you put the driver's window down, the radio turns off. And I went, huh? And no, and I and yeah, and I went for a ride down the road, and the radio's on. And I hit bumps, and I do this, and I do that, and that was fine. Put the driver's window down, the radio turns off. And I'm saying to myself, yeah, okay, I get it, um, but I don't. So back at the shop, kind of started to go through the drill. And I had previously, when the customer first dropped this off, gone outside, opened the driver's door, and something told me, and I tugged on the harness between the door and the A-pillar, the front door post. And the radio turned off. And then I realized her description is wrong and my description is wrong. It's not that the radio turned off. The speaker turned off. There's a difference. The radio stayed lit. The sound coming out of the speaker was gone. But the truck was silent. So I sat down and started looking around and it was an aftermarket radio. And I I talked to her and I got some more information And I said, isn't there another speaker in this truck? There has to be more than one. She said, yeah, there's one in the passenger door, but that hasn't worked for a long time. So we're running out of speakers, I'm thinking to myself. That's the problem. It's just just getting to be less and less. So sure enough, yeah, driver's door, speaker shuts off. Pull the speaker out of the door panel. You know, it's amazing how much effort people will go through 
to hide something and do it wrong versus the amount of time it would really take them had they actually gotten off their dead behind and walked over to the supply table and picked out the right spade terminals to hook the speaker up with. So, you know, this reminds me about the time when I asked the, the newly hired, only once hired carpenter when they were remodeling a room in the house, and I said, you know, can you just make the coax cable a little shorter? I want you to change the position of the outlet. And they took 12 feet of coax cable and shoved it in the wall instead of cutting it and recrimping the end on. They took all the speaker wire, I guess in the kit, with the pre-crimped ends on it. They rolled it up using wire nuts, and they tied it all together in this truck and shoved it all in the door. So every time the window went up and down, it would pull on the harness, and then over time, it would just... And it was it's pulling the wire. It just it would just pull the wire off the speaker and put the window up, and it would push the wire back on the speaker and put the window down. It would pull the wire off the speaker. I'm just going to work forever. So, I said, well, that's why the driver's door speaker doesn't work. I said we couldn't have made the same stupid mistake on the passenger side. Let's take the passenger side speaker out. Nope. This guy was a dope twice. He So I guess he's going on the assumption that when they give you 25 feet of speaker wire, you have to use all 25 feet for each speaker. It's 25 feet for the left, 25 feet to the right. Uh, uh, you know, makes no sense to me. Just way too much wire in this vehicle. Um, just put crimped it on, soldered it, made it nice, cut it down to a couple of inches, tucked it in. And it worked really well. And yet somebody got paid to do that. And somebody got paid to do that wrong. And the car got out of the service facility, wherever it was, the radio installer. And it just makes me wonder, what if you gave, it, what if you gave that person trying to fix the speakers a Tesla to work on? Where would we be? And, and how would that be? Uh, how would that come out? What would that look like? Look Let at the guess. technology there. This was an aftermarket installation oh, yeah. done, done by a big box store. Uh, I don't know that. But I would... I would probably tend to agree with that statement, yeah. Yeah, what, what they do there, they, they bring them in, they ship them out as fast as possible, here's the kit that comes with it, yep. install it, don't bother trimming it down, don't bother putting the right connectors on, make it work, they're out the door, they're happy right. it works, and then a year later, guess what? Right, they got a problem. And, you know, the scary part is that sooner or later, that kid will get tired of working at the radio installer place, and he'll graduate and go work in a repair shop somewhere because I'm a technician. Yeah, you're a technician, all right. So, but anyway, I'm Ron Anini, the car doctor. I am a technician. 855-560-9900. Let's kick the garage doors open. Let's go talk to Kevin in New Hampshire. And uh, some comments about my my Miata Bolt problem. Yes, Kevin, how can I help you today, or how can you help me? Is this Ron's on the air wind farm? This is it. Uh, <laughs> yes, sir. What's going on? Hey, I was listening to you last Sunday. I went down on my farmer. I went down to cut some cordwood and. I was listening to you about taking the bolt off the crankshaft on a Miata. Right. I think it was a Miata. Yep, little Miata, little 1-8 dual overhead cam Miata. Yeah, now now I'm a farmer, so what I would do to make that problem easier is I'd, I'd take a couple spark plugs out and I'd, I'd um, feed some soft cotton rope into the piston, each piston, to bring it up so it would deadhead and you could turn it off with any wrench you wanted. Interesting idea. I guess you could do that. Um, we I, used I, to do snowmobiles that way, chainsaws, uh, if you wanted to take the the um, clutch off a crankshaft, and, and, it, and it works slick. Well, what we ended up doing, what we ended up doing to get the bolt off was 
just soaking it. And we have a um, we have a it's a long bar with a pivot, and you can put a socket on the end. It's like a strike dead blow type of a uh, sledgehammer setup, yeah. like a slide hammer setup. And yeah, if, yeah. after letting it soak for a little bit and catching the crank in the right position, bang, and it popped right out. But yeah. that, that's not a bad idea either. I've seen that done before. I'm hesitant to use it in certain situations only because this bolt is torqued on 144 foot-pounds. Yeah. And I just wonder would it – I don't I, I don't like – well, I don't like getting in the habit of – I don't like getting in the habit of putting things in cylinders only because taking apart a snowblower – or a, a snowmobile is a whole lot different than taking apart a dual overhead cam, yeah. one eight Miata engine. Um, but you know what, Kevin? Fair point. I like the I like where you're thinking. Um, and I'm going to tell you another little trick that if you have an air ratchet and you just set that and pull it up against the frame and let that sit, sit there all day long, just going ching 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 ching. It'll wear it down. And, and it'll it'll wear it down and yep. it'll eventually take it off. Yep. I've, I've had many things that I've had a hard time getting apart. My father was a great teacher, and uh, we saved everything. See, that's what I love about farmers. You know, the American, yeah. the, the farmers, the American farmer is the guy out there making it work with nothing, yeah. and and yeah. and that's the neat part. I take my hat off to you, sir. He, um, he's the guy that goes to work without his belt on and takes right. a wire tie and hooks two belt loops right. together to make a belt. Right. You know? So, although some of the American farmers that have now retired, I think they're shopping at Walmart because I've seen those pictures on uh, Facebook. About uh, <laughs> that was me. You know, was that you? You were the guy. You were the guy that put it up there. You had nothing to do that week. Uh, I get it, Kevin. A hey, pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Sir. Every Sunday morning, I try to listen to you guys. So. Th- thank you, sir. I appreciate you being there, and you make it all the worthwhile listeners just okay. like you. You have a good rest of the week, my friend. If you get to New Hampshire, stop and see me. All I right? will absolutely. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. Ron and Annie, the car doctor, coming back right after this. Welcome back, Ron and Annie, the car doctor. Let's uh, let's get some emails out of the way, and let, uh, they're starting to pile up. Let me get through this real quick if I can. Um, first, this is one from Anthony Emilio, our uh, our retired Chicago PD um, out there in Chicago. And Anthony writes, he says, "Hey, Ron, I was listening to last week's show. You mentioned a service bulletin on Camrys for bad evaporators. What was the number of the bulletin?" Thanks, Anthony, and the guys from Park Ridge, Illinois. Um, Anthony, you're looking for. Toyota Service Bulletin 0033-14 that talks about the evaporator drain hose being blocked by insect nests. I think that's the one you're talking about. It's uh, Toyota Service Bulletin 0033-14, and it talks about the procedure to repair and remedy that. And as I said in last week's show, this particular problem is pretty prevalent on a lot of Camrys. They're seeing a lot of issues with it. And um, it's something that, you know, obviously has to be addressed. We were actually having an argument, not an argument, but a conversation in the shop. And the way I've got two more emails to do, but let me just comment here. Um, the the water leak, and I'm going to change gears a minute, the water leak on the Honda Odyssey that I've talked about off and on over the past month or so, um, you know, they ended up being that they joined the middle section of the roof and the side sen- the side section of the roof and the upper A and B pillar post where they spot welded together. That was a water leak. That's a pretty poor design, okay, that you, you spot weld it together and then seam seal it, and they put a very light coating of seam sealer on there, and it actually cracks, and so the, the entire headliner gets wet, and it starts to create a stain, and it becomes an issue. And then you say to yourself, well, is Honda as good a car as everybody makes it out to be? But you notice nobody really complains about it. Everybody sort of accepts it. 
And then Toyota's got this thing going on here. There's there's more than a few bulletins about this evaporator drain nest uh, issue and problems with the evaporators and the Camrys and so on and so forth. But I still think the Toyota is a better car than the Honda. My point is all these cars have problems. Toyota's got problems with evaps. Honda's got problems with water leaks. Honda's got transmission issues, engine problems, a slew of things going on. I really think in this day and age that a lot of these cars are only as good as the guys working on them, and I've said this for years, and I think it's really coming to point because with with the way computers are helping create better cars across the line, even Chryslers are getting to be okay. Um, they're not high on my chart, but they're they're getting better than they once were. They still have a lot of electrical and parts issues. So, But, Anthony, that's your bulletin, 0033-14. I wanted to get that out on there. Uh, which is this one here? Oh, this was in response to last week. Ron, I just listened to your podcast where you asked about plastic model cars and helping kids. Yes, plastic model cars are still available, and he sent a photo um, of his 71 Dodge Charger painted in genuine plum crazy with Chrysler engine red block. Um, she's almost done. This comes to us from Tracy Baker, Tracy Baker, um, um, you know, or James G. Baker, actually. It, is, uh, it depends on which email you want to believe. But, you know, whoever sent this email jiggled my brain and gave me a thought in that, you know what? I remembered as a kid, eight years old, nine years old, we built model cars. Who built model cars, right? Everybody built model cars. Everybody had a little car collection. And, you know, you you started when you were like eight, nine, ten, um, you know, and then, you know, as you grew older, they kind of took it away from you because you were afraid you were going to sniff the glue, um, which was a whole problem unto itself. But, you know, um, today sniffing glue would probably be mild. So, but, you know, enough said, but just suffice it to say that, you know what, it'd be neat if kids started building model cars again. I bet you it would help them to understand. And hence the why I'm giving out little toy model cars at the shop like that. And I wanted to get this one up on the air. I've got a big one here I want to talk about in a second. Um, my driveway has a slight incline. Should I use the parking brake? I'm not sure when to use the park brake with the automatic transmission. This com- one comes to us from Tim. And what is he driving? I think he's driving a late model GMC Yukon um, or some such thing like that. Tim, uh, the answer is using the parking brake is always a good idea, especially when you're on a slight incline, even on flat ground. Listen, every time I park the Suburban, the plow truck, the Ranger, and the Ranger I have to, it's a stick, but every time I park any of my vehicles, I tend to use the parking brake. Why? Because if I don't use it over time, number one, the cables are going to get sticky and stuck, and they're going to rust, and then when I go to use it when I need it, it won't be there. But on a on a slightly bigger concern, the only thing holding a transmission or holding the vehicle from moving is inside the transmission is a park pole. Park, P-A-W-L. Go Google it and look at a picture of it. It's just a little metal finger at a right-angle tab, and it just locks into a groove, and that's it. I've seen park poles break, and when they break, that vehicle just rolls, and usually not in a good way. So, you know, getting in the habit of using the parking brake on a slight incline or, or more, I think it's a great idea. I, I encourage it. And I, you can't hurt anything. I'll put it to you that way. Um, you know, you're going through an extra step once you get it in the car of using a park, Paul, but y- you can't hurt anything. It's not that big a deal. Here's the email of the week. Good afternoon, Ron. I listen to your show on WVOM in Maine. 
but mostly on podcast as my job doesn't allow me to listen on the weekends. My question is I have a 2006 Jeep Wrangler manual trans 4 with about 60,000 miles. It's a summer driver. Last spring when I took it out from the garage, I had a terrible noise at startup, which at the same time I described as a squealing noise. I assumed it was coming from the belt. I replaced that in the tensioner. No luck. It only appeared to be doing it when it was a cold engine. Not always, but 85% of the time. Yeah, this has, this has a bad oil pump drive. Um, oh, that's when I found the Jeep forum that had a link in a story to YouTube video, The Laughing Barrel of Monkeys. So the forum said that the oil pump drive assembly, the OPDA, was a problem in the 05 Jeeps and a few 06. I got news for you. The oil pump drive assembly has been a problem since Jeep came to market with the 4.0. It's just either that or the distributor assemblies. Um, the distributor assemblies are a problem also. So um, which aftermarket OPDA would you recommend, the Crown or the Dorman? Neither. Why can't we just get an OE Chrysler piece? How much more could it be? One of the things I've noticed is that in some cases, not all, but in some cases, I see that there are aftermarket parts available for something. And darn if you don't go and talk to the manufacturer and that OE part is a little bit cheaper, if not the same money. I, you know, what kind of quality control do you want to have? Um, had it this week with a 2002 Jeep Wrangler uh, working on the directionals. I took the directional switch out. I guess when you take the directional switch out and you unplug the 20-pin connector from the back of it, and the 20-pin connector comes apart in seven pieces, yeah, that's probably no good. Um, so I had to find a connector for this you know, a new customer, nice young girl. She's just getting used to the idea of fixing a car, and I'm trying to be sensitive because I know how skitterish young people can be when you, you know, you're, you're trying to explain to them about cars and, you know, they thought they were miserable in high school. Get ready for a life of misery fixing cars. So, you know, I went out pricing connectors. Well, I can buy the I can buy the connector in the aftermarket. A bunch of different places make it. They'll sell it to me very nicely for 106 bucks. And I said, gee, that's awful expensive. So I went looking to Chrysler. Sure enough, I can buy the connector from Chrysler for 90 So that means the aftermarket companies buying the connector from Chrysler and reselling it, it pays to look at the aftermarket stuff. Um, so just something to consider. Tom in uh, Newburgh, Maine, try taking a look at the OE Chrysler stuff and see if it's still available. I think you'll be better off in the long run. 855-560-9900. Ron and the Car Doctor, coming back right after this. Ron and Andy, the car doctor. Let's go over and talk to Michael in Idaho, 01 Toyota Celica. Hey, Michael. Welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? All right. I, I got a 2001 Toyota Celica GT okay. with a 1.8. Right. And um, it's got a, a roughly about 162,000 miles. And I'm having a cylinder three misfire, and I'm burning through about five quarts of oil roughly in about a week. And what I think's going on is my rings are stuck to my pistons from what I've been hearing. But there's so many different remedies and stuff people are saying that you can put in the cylinders or do this and do that, and I'm just not sure the direction in which I should go. Did did the misfire and the oil consumption issue both happen at the same time? Yes. So they both came up together? Well, well I just, I mean, the car was burning a ton of oil when I got it, and then... Um, the misfire happened the, after that. And then the check engine light popped on, and it just says random, or yeah, cylinder three random misfire. Okay, but, um, but and my, then 
But my point is, or my, my question to you is, was it burning oil for a while and then the check engine light came on with the random misfire and the miss on cylinder three? You know, I'm I'm not quite sure. I bought the car from a, a chick um, who was going to school at the University of Idaho or University of Washington. Okay. And um, my dad actually went and picked it up, so I didn't get to ask her too many questions about it. And so I'm kind of just in the dark with it. Right. All right. Then let's 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 start at the beginning. What 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 kind of tools do we have available to do some testing with? Anything? Nothing. Um, I, I have the ODB one and two code reader. Okay. Um, and then my dad's friend, um, has the actual diagnostic thing that he can hook up to it to go further deeper into the, to the code stuff. Right. Um, but, do we uh, have my, do, do we have the ability to do a compression test? Do we have the ability to, yes. So if, if we were to do a plain old fashioned mechanical compression test, have you done that? I have not yet. Okay. So, you know, I think before we start jumping and pouring chemicals and, you know, you know, Band-Aid in a can type of stuff into the engine, hoping it fixes the ring problem, I, I, I think we need to really find out what sort of shape is the engine in overall. So, you know, there's, okay. there's, there's a couple of things. I want you to do a mechanical compression test, pull all the spark plugs. Uh, you know, you can find procedures out on the net. Um, just pull all four spark plugs. The the idea with a compression test is you're looking for uniformity among the cylinders. All right, you, you know, okay. Educated guess you're going to see somewhere between 130 and 170 pounds of compression, but you can have more than a 10 percent variation and actually 5 percent variation between cylinders. So if one's at 170 and one's at 120, yeah, that one with 120 has got a problem. Then we just got to figure out what that is. All right. So we want okay. to, we want to do a cranking mechanical compression test. That's number one. Number two, read. Go out there and do some reading on a running compression test. All right. the The industry in in the last fifteen years has gone towards doing a running compression test, and in in this test, the smallest difference flags as different potential problems depending upon which way it is. You might see running compression on a typical engine of about eighty psi. But you may see the problem cylinder show you 75 PSI, and while you're sitting there saying, well, it's only 5 pounds, on a running test, that can show much more drastic consequences. And, you know, it's, you're, kind of pick, you're kind of picking, you know, a, a pimple out on a fly's behind, all right? You're, you're, okay. You're being very specific. So, you know, a running compression test isn't a bad idea. What does the spark plug on number three look like when you take it out, or have you not taken it out yet? Um, I've taken them out and replaced them uh, quite a few times, and they just—they look just uh, almost like a charcoal burnt. Okay, they all look the same. Yes. Uh, so when you say a charcoal burnt, they're—they're they're black, they're brown, they're pink, they're what? Black, like the dark gray, like in between, like just a really, yeah, a really dark gray. Okay. Because keep in mind, a misfire doesn't necessarily mean ignition. A misfire is a okay. miss. All right. Um, you know, you ever, you, ever, you ever mow the lawn, Michael? Yeah. Okay, so you start the lawnmower. You leave the choke on. Does the engine start to miss? Yeah. Okay, that's a rich misfire, right? Um, yeah. So you've got a rich misfire. You can imagine what an ignition misfire looks like, right? That's a bad plug, bad wire, problem in the ignition system. And then you could have a mechanical misfire, you know, cracked pistons, stuck rings, uh, burnt exhaust valve, something like that. That's a mechanical misfire. 
is is the engine physically missing all the time? No. Okay. Does it ever miss, or you just see the light on and you don't know where it comes from? Um. Yeah, I just see the light on and. and I don't know where it comes. Okay, so another thing is when I pull up to an intersection and go to take off, right when I barely start to give it any gas, it wants to bog way down and then almost die. And it's so bad to the point where, like, I can't take off in first gear. It's just like, won't, won't, right. won't. And right. then... Is it is it idling smooth at that point? Um, No, it's a, I don't about uh, 400 RPMs at that point. Okay, but is it smooth? Is, is, not, is it a low idle? Is it a smooth idle? No, it, um, it hops a it, little bit. It, okay, it's, it's, not a it's, it's, it's idle rough. for sure. Does your scan tool give you the ability to look at fuel trim, or does your well, no? Does it give you the ability uh, to look at data stream? No, but the uh, my father's mechanics his does. Okay, um, what do you what do you do for a living, Michael? What are you working? Where are you uh, working? I work at a, uh, it's a place called the 4x4 store, yeah, but we just deal with mods and suspension, lift kits, stuff like that. Okay. So, um, putting air in tires? You're, you you put air in tires? I'm going to try and see if I can make this analogy. You, you, ever, you ever get a 4x4 come in and, and you, you have to let air out of it to go out and play in the mud and you're always playing with tire pressure, that kind of thing? Yeah. Okay. So zero. You know. So let's say let's say thirty five pounds in in a tire is right where you want it to be. That's a good. That's a good tire. All right. That's a balanced air all fuel right. mixture. That's zero. All right. Um, if we take a little air out of that tire, all right, we're 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 gonna go to the negative. If we add a little air to that tire, we're gonna go to the positive. All right. The idea I'm is the, the idea is that you want to have you want to have a zero point. All right. When you're dealing with cars, everything has a base spec. 35 pounds is good tire pressure. Less is bad sometimes, more is bad sometimes. It depends on the scenario. Fuel trim right. is kind of the same thing, all right? I want you to look at fuel trim, all right? Fuel trim in an engine is a calculated value of how the engine sees and is burning the air-fuel mixture coming into it, all right? An engine doesn't run, okay. an engine doesn't run on just gasoline, right? Yep. It it runs on air. If you if you were to close off the air supply, the engine shuts off. If you were to close off the fuel supply, the engine shuts off. It's a mixture. It's a it's 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 a combination. So zero fuel trim is is good tire pressure in your mind, right? That's that that's that sweet spot. All right. But you're I want to see where the fuel trim is on this car. I want to see is it zero? Is it adding fuel? Is it subtracting fuel? All right. Now just like that tire pressure. There's a range, okay? So, you know, sometimes you want that tire to be down around 30 pounds. Sometimes you want it to be up around 40. Same thing with an engine. But if it gets lower than 30 or higher than 40, that's a problem. You with me? Yeah. Okay. Lower than 30 or higher than 40? Yeah, just and those are analogies, kiddo. That's, that's, okay. that's, that's not the numbers you're looking for. I'm just trying to draw your mind to the idea that above a certain mark or below a certain mark is a bad thing. Okay. Okay. So, you know, fuel trim, there's two versions of it. There's long term, there's short term. Long term is history. What'd you have for dinner last night? Spaghetti. Okay. That's history. All right. What are you gonna have tonight? What are you having what what are you gonna have for lunch today? If you have spaghetti again, then you know that's it's 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 a recent. That's that's right now. All right. So there's okay. there's there's long term, there's short term. Long term is history. Short term is current right now. 
What is the short-term fuel trim on this vehicle when it's starting to miss? All right? And what you're typically going to see is plus or minus 10%. You start to see more than 10%. It's adding more than 10% fuel to the system. It's seeing a problem. All right? Okay. And and now we want to go and trace that down and source that out. Why is it adding more fuel? Because, as I said when I started this conversation, do I have a bad injector? Okay? Do I have right. a vacuum leak? These are not uncommon to leak vacuum around the intake manifold gaskets, and there's ways to go about and diagnose that. My biggest yeah, concern... Yeah, I, I got a vacuum tester, so... Okay, well, there's also ways we, we can do this with propane and a bunch of other things, but I want to get you to that point first. My biggest concern is, and then I'm going to go, is do we have a problem tied together? Is it burning oil and creating a misfire, and they're all related, or are they two separate problems? All right. Oh, okay. There's no, there's no rule. Hey, you ever, you, you're doing four by four suspension in trucks. You ever have a customer come in and say, "Hey, it doesn't ride right," and you find out tire pressure's low and you got a bad shock. Yep. Okay. Well, guess what? You got two separate problems contributing to the same scenario. That's what you got to okay. decide. You got to split this up and decide is one related to the other. All right. Oh, okay. You work on that this week. You call me back next week and let me know where you're at. All right, kiddo? I will for sure. Thank you so much. You're very welcome, Michael. 855-560-9900. The car doctor's coming back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and the car doctor at 855-560-9900. Just a quick car doctor tidbit, quick story. All right, and then uh, we'll motor on down. Um, we had a car in this week, a 2010 Ford Escape. And, you know, this is for all the youngsters out there that uh, are the young at heart that, you know, cars are a problem. We were talking about this at the chiropractor today, too, that, you know, whatever happened to the $500 car that you drove for two years, put three quarts of oil in it and then threw it away and or you sold it for 300 bucks and somebody else drove it. That stuff doesn't exist anymore. Right. You go out for five grand and you buy a piece of junk that you put two grand into. And it's, it's getting harder and harder to put young people into some type of reliable transportation. And what we're seeing more and more of is mom or dad are driving that 150,000, 200,000 mile, you know, seven, eight year old car, and then they get a car and they're going to hand that car off to the youngster. The problem is statistics say that the young driver is most likely to have an accident. Voila, enter today's story. So Sarah um, who happens to be the daughter of my chief engineer and producer, Tom Ray, um, she hit a deer. Well, she heard she hurt a deer because Sarah is a, is a, is a, is a vet tech. She's a, she's a veterinary technician, and the phone call was, Dad, I heard a deer. I said, excuse me? Right. She said, no, I heard it. I said, you hit a deer. I said, are you okay? I'm okay. I said, how's the car? Headlights broke, bumpers broke. I hurt a deer. I'm like, oh my god! <laughs> and, and the problem is, you know, that 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 bumper and headlight going through a body shop through insurance would have totaled the car. It, it would have come close to totaling the car because the car now has it's a 2010 Escape. It's got close to 220 thousand miles on it. So the problem is, you know, what do you do? How do you take a young person just getting started out of that car, and now you have to add a car expense, car debt to it? Tom called me and I said, Tom, here's what we're going to do, all right? And I said, this is fairly simple. Uh, you know, it was it was external structural. It, it doesn't have to be frontline stuff. 
and I told Tom where to look. You go out online. There's a bunch of guys on eBay. Thank God for the Internet. We can actually use the Internet to help us fix cars for more than just reading. All right? And there are a bunch of guys out there. You send them the paint code, which they tell you where to find it on your particular car. You send them the paint code, and they will paint the bumper and ship it to you direct. I think Tom paid about 250 bucks for the bumper assembly. And um, it's, it's Yeah. No, it was it was three fifty, but it was the bumper. It was completely painted, right, uh, to factory spec, right, and that included shipping, right. Okay, so three fifty, it showed up, and a headlight assembly, which was about two hundred bucks. So for five hundred and fifty dollars, now we did the labor for Tom, trying to help him out because we 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 love Tom Ray. He's part of the family here. And uh, it's it's something that that's not what you said earlier well, before the show began. That's because we're on air now. Oh. So you know, besides that, he's the guy that controls the opens. So the point being that it probably would have been a good father daughter or a father son Sunday afternoon, you know, bonding moment. And it's it's not impossible. Look, kids are going to have problems. Kids are going to have accidents. You you got to do something to help the kids. And and the point of this opening conversation is that if you find yourself in that situation. Don't be afraid to do a little research. Get out on the net, see what's available. Even talk to the bumper manufacturers. Hey, how, you know, because I happen to know where Tom bought his from. They're very helpful. You know, can he unbolt this? Is this something? Do I have to be a trained technician to do this? You know, how involved is it? And it's just another way to look at it that it doesn't necessarily always have to go through channels. Sometimes there's ways to cut the corner and do it safely, but yet still maintain that car. And as a result, Sarah will go off to Tufts. We're all very proud of her. She got accepted to, uh, and Tom's a proud papa. Yes, here. Wait, Tufts Tom, Veterinary School. Tufts Veterinary School, which, so, oh um, boy. <laughs> and, and you talk about crazy stuff on a, as an aside, 1,500 applicants, 95 get into a veterinary program. They become a, a, a vet doctor, so that's a big deal. And uh, we salute her for that, and uh, we admire her effort. Um, you know, But in any event, you know what? It's not always a totaled car. Sometimes you just got to think outside the box. There are other sources for cheaper parts, and sometimes... Yes, it is something that you can deal with on your own. 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's coming back to wrap it up right after this. Out of my Ron and Annie, The Car Doctor here. So how did I do the past two hours, right? The show about nothing. We talked a little about this. We talked a little about that. It went well. There you go. So it was, um, I'm bad. you know what? That's it's, why. it's the show about nothing, and yet I hope we educated you because that's what this show is about. We need a soup Nazi. Uh, a soup Nazi? Well, yes. I can I can work on that, but that'll be next week. Trust me, we don't have time this week. Um, Michael Todd, who works for the IRS down Texas Way, he's a long-term listener, and I love hearing from Michael. He brought up some interesting comments about Tesla. And we're going to talk a little bit more about it next week. But um, one of the things he wrote up about was he said you have to factor in, or more importantly, can the range be increased to about 1,000 miles, a full day of driving, that a driver can recharge it overnight and make it from L.A. or Miami or New York City in four or five days or so. And I was thinking about that. I was reading Michael's email. So if somebody's driving, like, cross-country in a Tesla and they park overnight and they stay at, you know, certain hotels where they leave the porch light on, does that mean the porch light's going to go dim when they're charging the Tesla? I don't know. I was just, it, I had to leave you with that thought, like who's going to charge Teslas overnight? I'm Ron Anini and the car doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.